0: Welcome to the mayhem Dick and Lloyd mayhem Media mayhem Marketing mayhem You might love it, you might hate it It's my favorite freaking show
1: Yes, we're just two valiant explorers heading off into the business world Looking for great businesses to talk about, IBT for 70 years has been a great business. It's time to find out more. Hey, Lloyd, you know we like to wander around this city and find successful people, entrepreneurs and people that have developed companies and things that are so successful here and a lot of people don't know about them that live around them here. That's right. There's the, we're at IBT in Merriam right now. IBT.
0: What does that stand for? Well, now I'm, I'm going to let our guest... Uh, Jeff cloud explain that I know the answer president of the company yes all
2: right good. I know the
0: answer by the way Jeff come was, on in it, here it's international <laughs> bearing and transmission am I right
2: you were close oh, you were close oh. you almost nailed it ding, ding, ding. Um, and to be fair industrial
0: it does, bearing. It, does
2: it doesn't mean there you go it, it, that's
0: right so industrial bearings
2: originally our business um, took uh, what was a traditional bearing distributor and we incorporated transmission products, okay. which was very uncommon at the time. So when we were looking for a name, or when, we, when my grandparents were looking for a name, industrial bearings and transmission had a good feel. Currently we've evolved in selling a lot of other products within yeah. the industry, so we wanted to keep the brand equity of IBT, mm-hmm. but now our, our actual legal company name is IBT Industrial Solutions.
1: All right, now what does this company do? For the person that's just tuning in and has no idea what is your business
2: uh, that is a good question uh, our, our industry uh, we meet and discuss this quite a bit on trying to figure out what that 30-second elevator mm-hmm. speech is sure. for our business we are in uh, what is called an industrial distributor which means we provide any number of products that any end-user whether that be a manufacturing facility a food processing facility um, any kind of municipality, anybody that needs to have products to run their business. We, we work as an intermediary with manufacturers to support their, uh, their needs whenever it would arise.
1: Because you can go out and buy the things in mass and have them ready to distribute in a lower level to the folks, right? So they don't have to go out and do the mass and keep it in their place.
2: That is exactly correct. We have a ma- uh, major distribution center here in Kansas City and then smaller locations that we support all of those end users mm-hmm. with the smaller quantities as needs arise.
1: How did you get in this business?
2: So I was very fortunate uh, that my uh, my grandparents started this business 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I pretty much claim I've been in the business since, uh, since I was born. Worked part-time growing up, always worked in the warehouse and and, and worked my way through. uh, When I was in college at KU, uh, we have a branch there as well, so I was learning the business firsthand. Fourteen years ago, I uh, made a decision with my father that it was time for me to to come back from what I was doing in the the culinary field. I worked as a chef for a while to get out of that field and and come back to work for for the family business because at the time there was no third-generation involvement in the organization. So we made a decision that uh, we would see if it was a good fit for me long term. We both committed each other that we would spend two years feeling this out. So I I couldn't bail and and, and go do something else and and he couldn't relieve me of my duties for two years. And uh, what ended up happening is it was such a good fit. We never even really had a conversation until three to four years after that.
1: And the great thing about it is Jeff can cook everything at the Christmas dinner. That's right. That's the, that's the incredible Well, thing, that's really so.
0: a smart approach, I think. Uh, interesting to kind of put a timeline on it so that if it didn't go well, there wouldn't be all kinds of family conflict there. You know, it would just passively end and everybody would go on their merry way and still be happy father and son. And, I mean, the dynamics of a family business pretty tough to manage sometimes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's uh It is interesting in that, you know, we have a phenomenal family dynamic and it's just, it makes working for a family business that much easier because there are a lot of things that can happen. I mean, it's, you know, families have conflict in general, regardless if a business is a is involved or not and uh, it it is great that and i feel very lucky that a lot of those uh, those smaller family conflicts do not bleed over into the organization and we all uh, including my two brothers that work for the business we all get along extremely well and uh, just do whatever is right for the organization and not let family bickerings get in the way
1: yeah which could be a volatile thing to be around but uh, you guys have worked it out and uh, and it's moving ahead very smoothly, it seems.
2: Yes, yes. We all have found our niche within the organization where, uh, where we play, and mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it's really been a, a great experience working for a family business and also being supported by my family as well.
0: Well, I can tell by all the photos that there's, it's, it's a really cool place you have that's, that's both the uh, company headquarters and appears to be a large warehouse and distribution center here in Merriam and when you come into the, in through the uh, reception area you, you see a lot of photographs and a lot of history, a lot of historical memorabilia mm-hmm. from IBT from way back. It's very apparent that there's a strong culture here. Talk about that a little bit, the importance of the culture both in a, in a family organization and just in something that has gone through so much change and so much growth over the years, how that cultural aspect has has given you stability and, Absolutely. and growth.
2: Absolutely. So IBT is celebrating its uh, 70th year in business uh, this year and I attribute a high percentage of our success to the people which represent the culture of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, My grandparents were very adamant about creating a family environment. I hear stories about my my grandmother, you know, working with the the families of the employees and wanting to be engaged and and know not only, you know, the the employees but the kids of the employees and creating uh, picnics and any time that they could spend time out of work to really get to know the folks that that work for the organization. Because they found out, you know, early on in their career the importance of what it meant to keep people within the organization. You know, turnover hurts, uh, it's very difficult to, to train folks, and it's just, it's the right thing to do to create an environment where people feel like they have a true sense of belongingness. And that's one thing that my, my, my grandparents really instilled in the organization, is making sure everybody felt like they truly were a part of the IBT family. My father and my uncle continued that trend and just did anything but create an even stronger cultural uh, environment as the company grew. Uh, when you've got you know, 15, 20, 30 people within an organization, it's much easier to keep that tight-knit fit. But when you start covering multiple states and close to 400 employees, it becomes that much more difficult to maintain that. But it's also that much more important because if you're able to maintain that and you have you know, 350, 400 people still feeling that same sense of belongingness, it, it definitely creates the, the right culture where people stay. We, we recently had a uh, event where Uh, We had all of our store managers and salesmen from all of our branch locations in town, and we had over 22 people that we were celebrating that had over 40 years experience with IBT, And that's just unheard of, not only in our industry, but just any industry as well. So uh, really proud of that fact, and I want to keep that trend going on through my tenure as president of IBT.
0: Yeah, that is a really strong advantage to be able to retain excellent people, and it says a lot about the company.
2: Yes, absolutely so you've had some 50-year veterans we um, we have had one um, but right now we, we currently do not employ any 50s right now
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's hard to even imagine yeah yeah
2: now it's uh, how
0: many how many locations are you operating in how many different states or wh- where do we're you we're in have? nine
2: states we roughly have 38 uh, brick-and-mortar and mortar Uh, locations that are pretty much little mini distribution centers that support the local customer base. So it's each one of our locations sells similar products Um, however in each area each town uh, you know what products are required down in southern Arkansas may require a, a different level of expertise than West Texas based on the different customers whether it's oil and gas or whether it's pulp and paper or or, or forestry. You get up in Nebraska um, a different as well uh, very agricultural as well as where our our core most condensed locations in in the state of Kansas obviously very heavy agricultural.
0: Wow so that's fascinating so it's not a particular product line what you're really selling is warehousing and distribution and and what's
1: needed in the markets where you are. Well or explain the product line
0: so I mean a lot of people in Kansas you've been here forever and a lot of people just they might drive by and see IBT and they never connect it because they're not in the market absolutely for what you're selling so explain what what is this the spectrum of so,
2: we, we, we sell, we like to kind of look at it as 2 twofold. One, we obviously provide products to customers. Mm-hmm. And those products can range from bearing and power transmission equipment. So, uh, bearings being the things that you'd see in your skateboards uh, or different things as a kid. Uh, anything that turns would have a bearing in it. So, anything mechanical has that type of product baked into it. Power transmission equipment being electrical motors, gearboxes. That, that was really our core. And then as we worked through our customers' needs, we found a whole list of other items that we needed to become specialized in. So that includes conveyance systems. So Amazon facilities, Walmart facilities that are conveying uh, a lot of equipment, a lot of boxes. We sell full conveyance systems. Uh, fluid power, so any pneumatic and hydraulic equipment, we sell that as well. Hydraulic and industrial hose. Safety, general industrial products. Um, electrical automation products. You know the list just continually goes on because of the breadth of of, of customers that we support in our certain markets.
1: What's your uh, competition look like? I mean, who who is your competition?
2: So we we get competition from two different ends. We um, have there are a handful of large conglomerate um, distributors that are publicly traded companies like Motion Industries, AIT. Uh, Granger would be one as well, I and mean, most people are familiar with that organization. Uh, so it's w- we definitely get hit from you know a big box area, but then we also have a lot of smaller distributors that are very specialized in our space. As I mentioned, all of the different products we sell, there's a lot of distributors that really focus on one area, one vertical, either are only in the power transmission business, or the fluid power business, or hose business. and we have to be able to navigate where we still are large enough to be able to handle a full breadth of customers' needs, but also to be able to bring kind of the, the, that second aspect I was talking about, the service component. You know, we, we're really here to solve customers' problems. You know, we're, we're not a strictly a warehouse that ships products. Uh, we, we really hang our hat on the idea that when a customer's not sure what they need, that's when they need to come to a company like IBT. We're not just there to to fulfill an order that you already know what you need. We actually prefer when you don't know what you need, because then we can kind of navigate and work, work with that customer to find what the best solution would be, depending on the application.
0: I'm kind of getting the feeling that's what really uh, keeps you wanting to come in every day, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, the variety of things that you see when you work in a distribution company is something that we always try to convey to the younger employees that are coming on board. Um, again, I, I try to do my best to explain industrial distribution, but there are, there are entire committees and associations built on trying to better explain what this market really represents. But the exciting part is you get to see a little bit of everything. I mean, I can go to an a aircraft manufacturer one day, and the next day I'll go to a plant that's making trash bags, and then the next day I'll be in a facility making marbles and then a food processor. We have a good account that makes Twinkies down in Emporia. That's not a terrible sales call to make. Mm -hmm. So you never really know what you're going to walk into with each of what our customers represent. So it's just, it's a really fun variety of customers, and um, you get to apply little bits of knowledge that you learn in each of those areas in its own special way.
1: Now, you uh, don't operate as Jeff the Island. Who do you hang out with? Who's your peer group that? you work and discuss and say, hey man, we've got this problem here, what are you guys doing? That kind of stuff. Does that exist?
2: It, it does. Um, so I've got a great network within IBT, obviously with the tenured employees, we, we've got a really great group, but um, there's a couple of different conduits that I uh, have expanded to, to help broaden my understanding of the industry. Uh, there's a handful of association groups, specifically uh, PTDA, which is the Power Transmission Distributor Association, uh, BSA, which is Bearing Specialist Association, and an association called AD that has allowed the opportunity for both formal and informal networking groups. So it's it's phenomenal for me to get around peers um, and other tenured uh, individuals that have been in the industry to be able to bounce ideas off and kind of learn from from what they have they have seen in the market over you know multiple decades. Um, I have a secondary network group that I'm a part of that is, is as beneficial if not even more of a, a group of distributors that are similar size to IBT throughout the country that all are multi-generational family-owned businesses. So to be able to put yourself in a like-minded group, uh, we meet a couple times a year, but it's amazing how, how many similarities that we run into in regards to uh, during our discussions of, of problems where half the group jumps in and says, God, I've had that same problem, oh, yeah. and, and really work through a good solution and can do it from from a very like-minded perspective.
0: And what do you think has been the takeaway just overall to the people who are maybe facing some of these emotional minefields and these kind of, uh, well, all the issues involving a multi-generational family business, what, what do you think the main uh, thing that you've had that, that that's been helpful to you. Take away from this organization, if you had to.
2: The it down. Um, well, for me, it's just such a great sense of pride to be able to represent our family as a third-generation owner. My grandfather and I had a great relationship growing up. Uh, to bring it back to Kansas City, where I-, I believe where I really learned the business was my grandfather and I used to do com- uh, competitive barbecuing before he passed away. Is that right? So yeah, we would do the Lenexa barbecue, which is the Kansas State Championship. We do. Uh, We'd go down to the American Royal and do a handful of other smaller barbecues, and now this was Forrest Cloud. This was Forrest Cloud, yes,
0: who was a uh, Wyandot High School. Uh, yeah, I think he, he born in '22, just like my father. My dad was in the same class with him, actually, yeah. in the same school. I know it's so amazing, it's such a small world, and, and it's fantastic. Then, uh, yeah, there were a lot of guys from that era. Uh, uh, who was it? Ray uh, Evans, the All American, and. I think Kite Thomas was in that class, and and Fred Forsler, whose company I believe
2: became part of IBT at some point. It, it was it was it was it's how we ended up getting into uh, one of the uh, the different businesses uh, products. Yeah, the hydraulics and pneumatic business that uh, we that still lives on today within our organization was was through a connection with Fred Power the, Flow Systems. right? Absolutely, I remember that. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay, so. So, Forrest and you were a competitive barbecue team? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, smoking on cloud nine. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and your brother was in the barbecue business. My,
2: what's going on here? We, you know, you're from Kansas City. I mean, there's certain <laughs> things that, uh, you know, pump in your veins that you can't remove. And one of the things that, that we've always loved to do is obviously cooking barbecue. I mean, what's wow. more? It's more Kansas City than that. That's right. Uh, which we still do today as well. We kind of live on my grandfather's tradition with that. But it, uh, but it, yeah, it was just phenomenal the amount of hours that I, that I spent talking to him and understanding how much the business meant to him. I mean, to start something that he was able to watch evolve and grow and, and pass on to his children and then hope that his grandchildren will one day be able to, to step into the role. Um, it, to me, when your original question on what really drives me from that front is just that sense of pride and ownership and, and being hopefully being in a position to move the business onto the fourth generation. You know, less than 13% of companies make it to the third generation. Right. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some people might say, oh, the third generation doesn't really do much or or whatnot. But just from a complexity of trying to pass a family entity that far down the chain becomes really, really complicated. So I feel so blessed that that we've been able to even navigate that and have every intention can't guarantee because I don't know what the fourth generation is going to be interested in but I definitely want to position it so that we will if if the uh, opportunity would so arise we'd have a fourth generation Kansas City uh, organization still going strong here, uh, well, here and
0: it's a rare thing it's been obviously carefully nurtured for a long time I mean he's spending that much time together with your grandfather and then your dad Steve took the helm for quite a while and then there were some some other leaders, and some, and we can talk about that soon. Uh, I'd love to hear about how this family business actually went outside the family briefly for some additional leadership, and then reverted back to a family headed
2: yeah, business. So, so IBT, um, we've had a couple of different external leaders, that um, three to be exact, that have have come in and helped kind of. Um, man, the ship at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, one in particular, an individual by the name of Mark Byrne uh, came in and and kind of worked his way up through the organization. Came in as a vice president and worked his way all the worked his way all the way up to president. And he was a he was just a great individual. Yeah, um, he
0: uh, was a well known
2: guy. Good, um, just an unbelievable mentor. Um, really cared about the business. Really understood the culture when he came in just embraced it understood that that's really what was the driving force of the business and wanted to make sure not to derail uh, what that meant and he was just a great mentor to me as well um, you know you, you learn a lot from your grandparents you learn a lot from your parents i mean i learned a great deal from my father in the business but it's great to have an external resource that can tell you things that other people may or may not
0: oh, tell an you an objective third party i mean after you it's been in the family for so long you're like I don't know if I'm really seeing reality.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I was very fortunate. uh, uh, Mark and I, as I started growing in the business and becoming more involved in in the management aspect, um, Mark really wanted to make sure and explain to me what what that meant from a family's perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're under a microscope, as you should be. I mean, you need to be held to a higher standard. And Mark understood that and understood that someone needed to be the voice and explain what the perception was in certain situations. So Mark and I, which I still have many of his notes um, that I review once in a while just to to remind me the conversations we had, but he was he was a, a, a kind of a vital component of my development and making sure that I became more self-aware of any and everything that takes place, you know, is seen across 350 employees and it's important as a leader that you not only represent yourself, but you represent the organization uh, at the highest standard.
0: So in a way, he was actually really helping prepare you for what ultimately became quite a, a tragic circumstance
2: here. Absolutely, yeah, it was, it was tragic. Uh, Mr. Byrne uh, had a fall down on the plaza, uh, was a very healthy individual. He actually played college football for the University of Vermont. He played on the very last University of Vermont football team before they shut down the program. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think it was because of him, but uh, just a very uh, very health conscious individual and just randomly had to slip down some stairs, which wouldn't seem like a big deal, but it uh, actually ended up tragically breaking his neck and uh, really a huge loss for the organization. It took a lot from a cultural standpoint to kind of circle back and, and, and get re re-acclimated to what the environment looked like without Mark. But because of the strength of the culture, and, and my father helped step back in and, and help um, be the acting president for a while, it just showed how resilient the organization was. You know, th- this organization is more than just one person. It's right. it's it's a collective. It's it's the 22-40 year employees uh, that we currently have on staff, amongst the the other very tenured folks that are here, and it's also the newer employees that have embraced the culture, and, and we all rallied around together and. Uh, and work through that situation, and uh, now I feel like we're even a stronger organization moving forward.
0: How do you assess the people that you're bringing on now? I mean, when wh- you you have this this uh, this reputation, you have this legacy. It's a it's obviously a desirable company to work for. Um, most companies don't have such uh, continuity in their uh, staffing and. Obviously, people uh, appreciate what this culture offers. How do you um, manage the process of bringing people into the company?
2: So, you know, there's no secret in regards to the mass exodus of the baby boomers. Um, the, The succession planning is so vital right now, not only in our organization, but other organizations in our industry and then other industries as a whole. When we're looking at employees, we're looking at, at culture and personality first and technical knowledge second. You know, There's a lot of things we can train uh, to get people up to speed in different areas, but I, I'm actually incredibly energized about what I'm seeing with the millennial workforce coming coming into the industry. Really? Um, you know, I laugh, I'm, I'm right at the, I'm either a really old millennial or a really young Gen Xer, depending on who you talk to, I'm a little blend of both. But there's this sense of the millennials that, that don't want to get out and work and, and want to work for a place for a year. And, and I understand there is some of that, but uh, it wasn't that long ago that the baby boomers were you know a bunch of long-haired hippies that would run this country into the ground. And I think that generation turned out to be pretty damn good in this marketplace. So I'm seeing the opportunity as technology evolves and as people just change the way that they do business, it doesn't mean the whole world changes. It just means we need to think a little bit differently. And as long as people go in with eyes wide open, I think this new generation that's stepping up, they have some exciting ideas. They want to be involved. We just have to kind of set the right stage for them and put the right people on the right seat on the bus. And um, I think they're going to do some really great things.
1: Well, I'm sure you're not just sitting around waiting for them to come through the corporate front door. What are you doing to go out and find people? Is there any plan in that area?
2: Oh, absolutely. We have a. Uh, we have a Phenomenal um, human resources department that uh, is actively searching for great candidates. Uh, IBT, we have approximately 70 positions that uh, will be, are slated to be turned over in the next five years. So between one and five uh, based on retirements and, and, pl- and these are all planned retirements. And we, we have, constantly have to maintain a pipeline of employees coming in that can step in and pick up where a lot of these these tenured folks are going to be kind of going to that next chapter in life which is fantastic i mean that's that's i mean we work to to support our families and to do the things that are required to live our lives but i i love when people are able to uh, to retire and go on to that next phase and go live their life there's there's more to life than just work there's a time in life where we need to be working, but there, it excites me to see some of the, the exodus and it, it does create a bit of a challenge. Because mm-hmm. when all that tenure leaves, I mean, you can't replicate 40, 45 years of experience uh, by having someone shadow an employee for two months. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. That doesn't happen. I mean, this isn't the matrix. We can't just plug people in and all of a sudden they have that same experience. But uh, I think with change also creates new opportunities it creates a new way of looking at the world. It creates a new way of attacking problems that uh, maybe haven't been thought of, and so some, some interjection of some new blood I think is only gonna do some, some wonders for IBT as well moving forward.
1: Let's look into a little bit more of Jeff Cloud. When was the last time you were sitting on top of a mountain?
2: It's been a few years. It's been a few years. Um, my younger years, I, d- I used to do a little bit of rock climbing. Uh, actually, it's was a great experience. Uh, this was back just after college. Um, but I uh, climbed a Grand Teton a few times mm-hmm. and was actually able to experience it with my father one year. So it's actually a great story with my father. He, uh, We went one year with um, him and then my middle brother and my middle brother Kevin has some altitude sickness and so we, we tried to climb it together and it's it's a technical climb you're not just hiking up it's a two-day you're roped in it's, it's pretty intense and uh, unfortunately my father and my brother had to turn back the first year we went and in true form my father being the dedicated individual he is he put a stake in the ground and said we're going back next year and uh, spent all year training he was in better shape than i was when we went the next year and it was something that we were able to do together which was just a really really uh you know phenomenal experience to do something that with with your father
1: Well, we have a picture of you two at the top so we'll make sure we have that on so yeah
0: wow i did not know that your father was uh climbing mountains he he
2: he does a lot of things. He does a lot. He, of he is, things. An, he is I know that. a very uh, avid outdoor individual. He's uh, yeah. He's been a great influence over the years.
1: Talk to me about your family. Who's at home? What's going on around there?
2: So I have a beautiful wife, Casey. Uh, yeah, we've been married now eight years. I've got a, a seven-year-old son, Owen, and a four-year-old daughter, Alice. Mm-hmm. And uh, just couldn't be more thrilled, uh, thrilled with family life. Um, my <laughs> It is. It is very humorous. My uh, I've got very curly dark hair. My wife has uh, straight blonde hair, and my son looks 100% like my wife, and my daughter looks 100% like me.
1: <laughs> to the point of, wow. I mean,
2: our, our, I've our, seen that happen. Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's so they, they do not look like siblings whatsoever. <laughs> and but she'll they, be
1: either cursing or blessing that curly hair as she gets older. She,
2: <laughs> <See, laughs> there's absolutely true on that. But uh, but no, the kids are great. Life is good. Um, I feel like I've got a great you know work, uh, family balance, uh, did, you know, my wife endured quite a bit before moving into my current role, specifically when I was a regional manager, I was doing a great deal of traveling. So I was gone probably two to two and a half weeks a month uh, while she was raising two very young children. So she, she endured a lot and uh, couldn't be more thankful to have someone like that, you know, taking care of the family while I was was on the road that much. Uh, now the kids are getting a little bit older, you know, getting into school, it's, it's starting to get a little bit easier. But, uh, but, yeah, I'm just yeah. Well, I'm thrilled. They may it.
0: not be aware of it, but I think they dodged a bullet because you didn't stay in the restaurant industry. <laughs> that would have made things a little bit tougher.
2: That absolutely would, yeah. <laughs> Pri- prior to me coming to work for IBT, I uh, uh, actually have a degree in culinary arts as well. And, uh, yeah, that is a rough industry. Oh, well, yeah. You know, it's, I, I actually attribute some of that to my success at IBT in that in a family business, there is a level of being sheltered. I mean, you just, it's the nature of a family business, unfortunately. But by getting out and mopping a lot of floors and cleaning out you know, broken glass out of drains and, and working 14, 16 hour days, really instilled a great work ethic outside of these walls so that you know, once you have that ingrained coming into this type of business, uh, it really built a lot of character and kind of prepared me for my next role here at IBT.
0: And it's such a beautiful uh, area here in Merriam, you've got a, a, a wonderful neighborhood here, and the building's big and luxurious and nice. and It's so much better than a small, windowless, hot, smoky, loud room where you have to stand all day with a bunch of people yelling at you. And that's just... You know, I mean, it's great to be a chef, but that's the downside. There,
2: there, are, some, there are some great upsides, and that would be not one of those upsides. <laughs> not, this is so much nicer. Standing <laughs> next to angry people, yeah. flinging knives and burgers no, it, and everything it, it, it else.
1: It doesn't look like that when the chef shows up on KC Live in the morning cooking with a smile on their face that's on TV. Right. Huh?
2: Yeah, sometimes that isn't quite reality. Okay, you know, all right.
0: And a couple of you, uh, uh, and uh, who is it, Kevin? Was, uh, was in that field?
2: Uh, actually, my brother Matt. Oh, Matt. Uh, he, Matt he was. He, yeah, uh, yeah he's a uh, very well trained bartender, and actually ran the uh, Long Branch Saloon there uh, on 87th and I-35 sure. yeah. Yeah. For, for many years, mm-hmm. and really enjoyed that uh, quite well. But he, he actually, he's actually back in he's the family the business pulp. as well. Yeah, yeah he's okay. come full circle just like I have. So uh, we've. We've got a bartender, a chef, and an uh, ordained minister all working for the business.
1: <laughs> Nothing could go wrong with that combination. No, no. Nothing, yes.
2: So tell us about uh, what, what are the things uh, that
0: you're dealing with, Are not, not necessarily you, but just that, that all businesses are dealing with the, that kind of are concerning you or on your radar, trends in the industry or business in general, the economy? What's on uh, your mind? What you know, are you I dealing think,
2: with? I think the two biggest things, and, and I talked to one of them already, is just the idea of getting prepared for the next generation. Succession planning, personnel, um, the amount of retirements that are taking place. You know, that void does create a vacuum. And if the the companies that are going into it with eyes wide open, are prepared for it, are putting things in place to tackle that, I think, are the ones that are going to come out of this, this baby boomer exodus on top. Mm-hmm. Because There's going to be a lot of situations where I feel key employees are going to start you know, going on to their next, their next phase in life, and all of a sudden people are going to be caught you know, kind of by surprise, and that's not a good thing when you've got some of your most tenured folks uh, and management folks walking out. Uh, I think the technology advancement is another uh, i know that's a buzzword you know you look at at what traditional industry uh, has been um, eliminated over the years but it's starting to happen at a much more rapid pace i mean we're seeing a lot of very traditional businesses that have that have been around for more than 70 years that almost overnight become eliminated because their value proposition becomes digitized mm-hmm. and so you know, ibt We've got a very traditional business model, and I think there's a great inherent value in in how we still service our customers face to face and and have brick and mortar. And what what my goal is, is to be able to maintain that infrastructure while also laying a a higher level of technology, you know, the utilization of phones for applications uh, to solve problems, the ability for uh, improved uh, e-commerce experience, things like that that uh, are not that prevalent in our industry as of today. Um, if we're able to match, marry both of those together, I think it's we're going to be in the, probably the best position we could possibly be in to be able to maintain our current book of business, but also be able to capture a whole lot of new opportunities with people moving forward.
0: Well, that is a real daunting uh, world because there's so much risk uh, in integrating the, the new technology. How do you? How do you? Uh, assure that that you are going in a a, the right direction and bringing the right people in because it's just i mean you don't know what you don't know and when you're getting into a field like that you you know the risk is that you're going to get some kind of technocracy inside your own company that you can't manage yeah so uh,
2: that's a very valid point you know change just go to what bookstores that are left uh, go, uh, speaking of technology, just go to the section of change and there's there's racks of trying to manage and, and you know, mm-hmm. handle what change uh, does to an organization. Because, you know, that's the one thing in human nature where we're adverse to change. You know, that's that's a just it's embedded in our DNA uh, to get or you have to have a good enough reason to want to get over that hump. So, yes, managing that there, there is a lot of things we don't know we don't know. Um, There's no guarantee on any direction you go. There's always a certain level of risk, but we feel we've done a phenomenal job in really researching our solutions, getting input from others. Uh, We're actually getting ready to launch uh, some new technology in the not-too-distant future, and um, the beauty of it is we've had had involvement and input from over 100 to 150 people within the organization. So these aren't things done in a vacuum. We, We don't Think this so is internal a good idea.
0: communication is really key to to making sure that you're driving your technology in the right direction.
2: Absolutely, internal communication and also true internal feedback and input. Yeah, I mean, we about a a third of the functionality that we're putting in some of this new technology we would have never thought of without the input from the individuals that are actually going to be responsible for deploying it. And it's just, I think, sometimes. You get a a development team that works in a vacuum, and whether it's technology or any initiative for that matter, and think they've got a great idea and run with it, and then look back a year from now and think, oh, if only we would have maybe not done a 180, but just a little degree shift and gone a slightly different direction, it would have been a, a lot more successful. We try to avoid those mishaps by kind of looking forward and getting feedback from as many people as possible before we pull the trigger on anything.
0: And so this is all by uh, you've you've carefully planned how you get feedback and how you respond and how you process it. To me, that's the fulcrum of building a culture. Is is that internal communication? What form does that kind of communication take with you? Do you have forums or do you have regular uh, electronic communication that you that you uh, try try to kind of set up? A structure for how does it work so
2: we've got a couple of different um, avenues that we utilize Uh, one we uh, created what's called our leadership team within the organization that that represents about 42 employees that are all of our managers within the company and we get together uh, twice a year and walk through all of our initiatives um, kind of give updates on where we're going uh, what's coming up the following year and then have a third meeting with that group to actually build out our entire, what we call our AOP, which is our annual operating plan. And that group of 40 employees literally build out the entire um, focused um, initiatives for the, for the upcoming year. So they've got skin in the game, they're involved, they work down through their organizations, uh, their direct reports, kind of feed up to them what, what they uh, would like to see us try to accomplish. Um, and so there's, not only is there a group of that 40, there's quite a few other folks that have their kind of you know stamp on what the plan looks like based on their input to to their managers that then feed it up to to the executive scale. So, again, I think.
0: And on the front line, how do you uh, how do you get your own people to bring the concerns of the clients, mm-hmm. the customers, and the vendors? You know, we to, into your. Conversation.
2: We use, you know, the term open door policy and and open feedback. People use those buzzwords a lot. Um, I think our culture has allowed that level of freedom where people are comfortable in conveying when there is a problem. Um, You know, my office um, is is constantly um, infiltrated by people throughout the whole organization because I would rather know what's going on versus letting people kind of hoard that or feel uncomfortable passing that along. It's not uncommon for someone even, you know, on the warehouse floor to pop upstairs and just say, pop in and, and give me some feedback on something that they've seen. And I think that's that's great. And that just kind of goes back to the culture. People feeling comfortable that you're not going to get criticized for bringing a problem, even if the problem is in your department. Mm-hmm. The fact is you, you should want to fix. You should want to continuously improve what you see. And I know there's some areas that you would rather not bring it up because people might end up making that a negative to say, well, why are you doing it that way? And and it's not like that here at IBT. We wanna make sure if there's an opportunity to improve, that we tackle it and then we celebrate those individuals that bring those issues to the forefront.
0: That's a key deal. Yeah. have to have a kind of a journalistic environment. It's like, bring, give us the who, what, where, when, why, and how. What are the customers saying? What are the vendors saying? And you've got so many relationships. You're dealing with the manufacturers or their representatives. And then the end users that are coming in and the, uh, I mean, what a complex set of relationships that you have to manage.
2: It it is. It can be be tricky because we're right in the middle where you have a group of manufacturers that are all vying for end user engagement. Mm -hmm. And we have to navigate which manufacturer, because a lot of our manufacturers sell the same products as well. So there may be... Uh, you know, and, and not a shortage, maybe you know, as many as 20, 30, 40 manufacturers that we have to select from that we feel, whether it's the value proposition of that manufacturer or price point or, or whatever it might be uh, in regards to why we feel they're the best fit. But, so we always have to kind of play um, a little bit of blocking and tackling to, to not engage too many manufacturers into right. a, to a solution. Um, and then also maintaining that relationship with the end user as well.
1: What's the uh, landscape for you as far as on the national level with tariffs and things coming from uh, China and different things like that? Is that affecting your business?
2: It is a little bit. Um, we have, um, you know, IBT doesn't manufacture uh, any products. We do a little bit of fabrication, but um, the we definitely have some manufacturers and suppliers that we support that uh, were hit with the tariffs. The tariffs are an extremely complex, thing that I, I didn't even realize as far as the way that they impact product the minute it comes on our shores. So we, we've got an issue now where there's a lot, of, a lot of product that has already been hit with a tariff and is sitting on the shelves of our suppliers that we're utilizing. And what the concern is going to be, once those tariffs are lifted or, or once once they're able to come up with a, a proper negotiation and decide it's time to pull them, well, that product has already been hit with that increased cost. Mm -hmm. So transitioning that and trying to educate our end user that when, you know, when the news explains that all the tariffs have been lifted, that doesn't mean all the product is just (laughs) dropped by 25%. (laughs) There's gonna have to be a lot of inventory that works its way through the channel before those tariff pricing will be able to come down. And uh, to me, that's gonna be the biggest struggle is maintaining the expectations of the customers and uh, having them be willing to understand and believe how, how all that product that has been uh, uh, inflated in cost, uh, due to the tariffs coming in, once that is gone, they should be able to see a decrease in their price to be able to go to their customers. Interesting. That's
1: something we never think of no. driving by your place.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, and so much of business is reacting to government in a, at every form, at every level. Yep. And and uh, this is just another case that's kind of, it's, it's indirectly, but that's, I mean... There's an awful lot of resources put toward that.
2: Yeah, no it is. It's uh, policy and, and, and even comments for that matter and fear. It is amazing some of the things that have impacted our business that were subjective within politics. Mm -hmm. Things that we think something is gonna happen, whether it happens or not is immaterial, but it creates a level of fear where people will pull back and, and maybe not wanna do a project or wanna hold on to some cash or vice versa. They think something is going to happen and then all of a sudden an influx of cash hits the marketplace and we're able to take advantage of customers that are willing to spend money. But absolutely, yeah, the political landscape, i
0: Forrest didn't have to deal with all that as much in the post-World War II era when uh, they... I
2: would, I would say wrong. probably not, but he'd still probably complain about it. So. <laughs>
1: he'd have something. Everybody there, has something. There,
2: there, there's, some, there's something I'm sure that took place that uh, he, he would love to complain about, but not probably quite as volatile as it is today.
0: Well, What do you see on the horizon? Where uh, What's new and exciting that you're uh, pursuing, or uh, what are your thoughts about the, the market in general, or...?
2: Well, I'm really excited. So our business uh, has expanded over uh, the last five or six years in that IBT has, a, has a, now as a parent company that is still owned within the family called Cumulus. And we um, have kind of diversified a little bit within our business to look at other acquisition opportunities. And we talked about succession planning earlier and, and mm-hmm. the need for that. There's a lot of industry and a lot of businesses that, you know, have, have been in business 40, 50 years that aren't really sure what that next phase of their business is going to be. Either don't have family members or they're, they're trying to look for a place to land. And there's always opportunity with a private equity or, or other companies that are looking to bundle up organizations. But we've found a really nice success in finding some of these business that have similar culture and maybe not in distribution. It could be manufacturing or, or any number of other mm-hmm. other spaces. But trying to to search out and find some of these individuals that are interested in having their business live on, but be run in an environment that that is in a seven year flip environment, which is what you know private equity is. So that's to me, that's really exciting because as I as well, I mentioned that's to your
0: mega trend that you were pointing out about people divesting that are baby boomers and people drop and retiring, and there's there are going to be opportunities there. So. Absolutely,
2: and so we're really looking at a lot of different areas and hoping we can. Um, partner with some great companies moving forward and, and kind of diversify uh, our bandwidth as well. Um, as well as I'm just excited about our, the industrial distribution company, IBT, and the influx of new employees that are coming in and learning about the things that I don't know I don't know. You know having new mm-hmm. ideas, fresh ideas, and being able to combine that with the understanding of our business and, and working together with some, some new ideas to create uh, whatever IBT is going to look like moving forward.
0: Well, I hope your technology people do a great job for you as they uh, as they start uh, refining those aspects of the business for you. That's, that's going to be a challenge, and I'm sure that, that uh, it's going to work out well if you stay with this culture that you've built.
2: And that is the hope. You know, it's, technology is great but it's only as good as it's embedded in the organization exactly. and adopted by the organization. And it's still, we, we use the term, we wanna to try to digitize the IBT experience. Mm-hmm. It's not about creating a website, it's not about creating an application, it's it's about what has made us successful for 70 years, and build that out in a digital landscape so we can still solve our customers' problems, but not getting away from our culture, our identity, and the things that have made us prosperous for over 70 years.
1: And there will be more mountains to climb. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jeff, let's go take a look down on the floor where the action is, okay?
2: I'd love to, love to show you around the organization and kind of maybe get a better visual representation of exactly what we do.
1: All right, Loy. Here we go. We're stepping into the action area. Wow! And as you can see, you can hear the Very sound low. that things are moving, things are rolling, conveyor belts are running. Things are sitting on shelves. Boxes and boxes of stuff. And as far as you can see, this is a big place. How big is this place, Jeff?
2: Uh, we have about 100,000 square feet under roof.
1: Okay. Wow.
2: So a lot of, plenty of space to be able to. Uh, Keep enough product to support anything our customers would need.
1: So, how many trucks do you have come in per day with shipments? Do you have quite a bit of shipments come in?
2: Uh, yeah, we honestly we have a handful of trucks coming in every day, and then we uh, to support all of our branch locations, uh, we have 40 different pallets that go out to fulfill customers' needs at all oh, of our okay, branches. sure. So, a lot of movement here, a lot so of things coming in and comes going into
1: out here, and then they, and then it goes out to the branches from here.
2: We try to do that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. we will have to uh, have something shipped directly to a customer, but we do our best to try to pull it into this building in bulk and then distribute it to our other locations.
1: Now, is there an argument amongst the employees as to which music you play in here?
2: Uh, that's between them. I don't get in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> I pick my battles.
1: Okay, that's good.
2: 70s rock is a usually a pretty common theme out here, Okay,
1: though. you got it. Got it. As long as Ario's on, the product is moving.
2: There you go. Absolutely.
1: Oh, We've got all kinds of different industrial products here. A lot of things that I don't even know what they're used for. Well,
2: That's the beauty of a lot of these products is there isn't one use. Yeah. There's uh, you know an unlimited amount of applications that they could be applied to it's uh, whatever our customers can dream up we sure. try to find the products to make it happen.
1: Well Jeff quite a place around here quite a story and we so appreciate you allowing us to come in and hear a little bit more about it.
2: Absolutely. Well, hey, Dick Loy, I really appreciate you having me on the uh, on the podcast, and uh, hope your listeners have enjoyed learning a little bit about IBT Industrial Solutions.
1: I'm sure they have, Jeff. And congratulations again for 70 years of great business. And we'll be around again with more great people and businesses to explore. Loy,
0: you might love it, you might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show.